Welcome to Garfield Memorial Church. We are one church in three locations, Pepper Pike, Ohio, South Euclid, Ohio, and Liberia, Africa. Together, we seek to widen the circle through our core values of diversity, safety, authenticity, growth, and forgiveness. To learn more about Garfield Memorial Church, visit our website at garfieldchurch.org. And now, may you be blessed and inspired by our weekly podcast of the message from the 10 a.m. Sunday morning Mosaic worship service. Garfield Memorial Church, widening the circle. Good morning. Hey, it is good to be here worshiping with you today. Good to be with our folks worshiping online as well. Uh, and if you're, if this is your first time with us, whether you're here present in person or your first time connecting online, I invite you just to uh, uh, go to GarfieldChurch.org and click that new guest thing and and uh, online. Let us know. You can do that right in the comments now. Um, it's good to be here with you. Anyone, anyone here or there struggling with stress? Anybody? If you, got, if you need to raise two hands, you're sitting down here. You can raise two hands and both your feet if you want. Um, stress is real. Uh, you don't need to. There's, there's, wow, Blevins drops a bombshell. Uh, Sunday morning, Garfield Memorial Church. Stress is real. It's out there. Uh, it's in here. It's in us. And the uh, uh, question is, how do we respond to it? And that's a lot about what this series is. Where do you run? Um, where do you run? Uh, we, one of the great places to run when we're stressed is to the Psalms. There's so much of human experience in the Psalms. Uh, it's amazing to me how, how things written thousands of years ago, these poems, prayers, songs, uh, can speak so clearly and so directly to, to 21st century U.S. life or, or wherever you might be worshiping from or with. Um, We've had a couple of psalms brought to us from, from, well, brought to us. Chip preached on them. Pastor Chip preached on two. Uh, Pastor Steve preached on one. Pastor Terry's preaching on one next week. The psalm that, uh, that I'm preaching on today, one of the psalms where I run, one of the places where I run a lot, particularly when I'm dealing with stress, is Psalm 131. Now, before we put that up on the screen... Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a couple of things. First of all, I want to apologize to everyone here and online. Um, I'm, I'm going to be real directive with the slides today in terms of saying when to advance them and, and, and when to go back and that sort of thing. And, and that's not because of our tech folks. They are wonderful. Um, I did not have a, a fully developed outline to give to them. And then at the last minute, I changed the order of most of the slides. So, uh, so because, I'm being directive today because of me, not because of them. So just want to let you know that. The the second thing is, is this, this message today is not going to be structured and formatted and done like a, a traditional sermon, whatever that means to you. I guarantee you, whatever that means to you, it's not going to be like that here today. Um, I did preach on this in a more traditional way at our 9 o'clock Heritage Service, which you can find on YouTube later today if you want to see that version of it and be part of that version of it. Today is going to be a little bit different because I, I, want, to, I want you to experience this psalm, not 
not just hear about the psalm, if that makes sense. And, and so we're going to do something today. It's a word that is, is kind of trendy now. Um, and, and for some reason, some Christians feel like, ooh, that's dangerous. I'm not sure we should do that, whether that's really Christian. And the word is meditate, meditation. And, and just, to, just to allay any fears, um, meditation is, is a perfectly Christian thing to do. Uh, deep roots in Christian and Jewish theology and tradition. Um, mind, what we call mindfulness, um, focusing on breathing and focusing on yourself and your present and, and where you are in this present moment is all deeply rooted in Christian tradition. It's in, other Christ, it's in other traditions as well, but it's in Christian tradition. In fact, the Hebrew word for meditate is the same word for chewing the cud that they use for cows. I don't know if you know about cows. Uh, cows have four stomachs, which is wild. Imagine what I could do at the buffet if I had four stomachs. <laughs> Uh, they wouldn't let me in, I expect. Uh, but they, they, they eat something, grass, hay, whatever. Uh, they chew it up, they swallow it, it goes into their first stomach. Then later they, they bloop it back up into their mouth and they chew on it some more. And then it goes into their second and then bloop and chew and then back. And they just chewing over and over again, bringing stuff up and chewing it on it over and over again. And, and that's the word, the Hebrew word for that is the word they also use for meditation. And, and just in case you think that's, well, that's very strange. We don't do those kinds of things in English. Um, animals that chew the cuds are called ruminant animals, and that's where we get our word ruminate. So if you're really theologically uncomfortable with meditating, you can just ruminate this morning, and it's all good. We're all still there. So the first thing I'm going to do is just ask you, whether you're here in the room, whether you're online, um, if you're driving in your car, don't close your eyes. If someone else is driving, that's okay. If you're driving, keep your eyes open. Um, but I'm just to invite you to relax a moment and, and just be aware of yourself. You know, if you ever struggle trying to be in the present moment, someone told me years ago, I invite you to do it today. Think about how your feet feel right now. Think about how your feet feel. And then breathe in. Breathe in nice and slowly through your nose. Breathe into your stomach. Let your stomach, babies know how to breathe. You look at a baby lying on their back breathing, their stomach goes up and down. Adults, we tend to breathe at our chest. Breathe all the way down with your diaphragm. Let your stomach go out. It's easy for me. And just be aware of yourself. Be aware of this moment. I invite you to remember as you're breathing and as you're thinking of your breathing, that when God made humanity, he molded us from the dust of the earth, and then he breathed into us his breath of life. That in Hebrew and in Greek, the same word in Hebrew means breath and wind and spirit. And in Greek, the same word means breath and wind and spirit. So breathe in your breath, and remember that your breath is the breath of God. And as you're doing that, as you're mindful of yourself in this moment and mindful of the Spirit of God that you're breathing in and out, I'm going to read this psalm to you and just let it conjure in your mind, in your heart, whatever images it might bring. So go ahead and put the first scripture slide up. Psalm 131. Oh, Lord. My heart 
is not lifted up, my eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted myself like a weaned child with its mother. Myself is like the weaned child that is upon me. O Israel, hope in Yahweh. From this time on and forevermore. Keep breathing. Don't forget to breathe. Amen. The Psalms were not written for us to study. It's good to study them. That's not why they were written. They were written as songs, they were written as poems, they were written as prayers. All of those are active things. The Psalms were written for us to experience more even than to understand. So we're going to cycle through Psalm 131. It's only three verses, three times through this message. We've just done once. The second time we're going to go through very slowly with a little bit of explanation and teaching along the way. And then we're going to come back and experience it again as a whole piece. I get stressed about a lot of things. I get stressed about a whole lot of things. And this psalm is one of the places I run to. And I discovered in this psalm, when I say I discovered, I mean, I, I'm not the first person to experience this psalm. I'm not the first person to, I, I just... When I say discover, I mean that very subjectively and that, that while I was reading this psalm at one point in my adult life, it just opened up and I experienced it in a way that I hadn't before. And, and I saw in it a process of hope. Go ahead and put that slide up. A process of hope. There's something in this that gives us a way to experience hope. Don't think of this as rules. Don't think of this as a checklist. I've got to do this, this, and this, and then I will have hope. Think of it again as an experience. An experience that as you walk through it, as you live through it, one of the things that might come out of it within you and around you is hope. And for me, when I first really started running to this psalm, I spent weeks just on verse 1. It just hit me, and it washed over me. And we're not going to spend weeks on it in this message. Everyone can breathe again. We'll spend a few minutes on it, though. 
So let's look at verse 1, Psalm 131, verse 1. And we're going to break this down and explain some of the words as we go through here. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. That word heart is significant. And one of the things that's significant about it is we can very easily misunderstand it in our 21st century Western American culture because the word heart does not carry for us the same meaning that it carried for David who wrote this psalm. In ancient Hebrew understanding, um, well, 21st century American understanding, we associate heart with either that word organ that pumps our blood or with emotions my heart goes out to you oh my heart is breaking um, my I, my heart is is heavy with grief or sorrow or it's light with joy but put up that next slide the english word heart um, is what we translate the Hebrew word leb. I mess up the Hebrew pronunciation for Hebrew scholars here and there. Forgive me. You can write in phonetic you know, pronunciations in the comments if you, if you feel the need to do that. But the meaning of that Hebrew word leb is the vital organ that pumps blood, just like heart means for us. But it's also the seat of thought and emotion and the mind. In the ancient Hebrew understanding, our mind was in our heart, not in our brain. Now, I'm not here to argue about geographically where is the mind located. But if we want to understand what David was experiencing as he wrote this and what he was inviting his readers to experience, we need to realize that when he says, my heart is not lifted up, he was talking for him about his mind that included thought and emotion, as well as character. My heart is not lifted up. The second phrase, go ahead to that next one. My eyes are not raised too high. My eyes are not raised too high. Go ahead and put up the image slide after that. Sometimes I look up too far. I don't mean because there's something nice in the sky. I'm talking about as I'm doing this journey of life. I'm looking too far up and too far ahead. Maybe you do this too, maybe not. But, but I'm like Luke Skywalker. Remember Luke when he went to see Yoda, meet Yoda for the first time? He was under a lot of stress. Not too many people in this galaxy or that one that have had the kind of pressure on them the Luke Skywalker had. Uh, they had blown up the Death Star, sure, but Vader was still alive, the Emperor was still alive, the Empire was still strong and growing stronger, and the Jedi were wiped out, except that Luke had learned that he had this power within him that he could access the force. Um, His mentor, Obi-Wan Kenobi, had been killed, the last Jedi that he knew of. Then he learned about Yoda, who really was the last Jedi. And Luke went to visit Yoda to be trained by the great Jedi master, Yoda. When he gets there, Yoda says, I'm not going to train him. I'm not going to train him. He says, for a long time, I've been watching this one. He's always looking to the future. His eyes are always looking over the horizon. He's never in the moment, never looking at what he's doing. He's obsessed with excitement and adventure. This is me. Luke had a reason to be strong. I mean, he had to save the galaxy. 
I don't have that pressure. I don't got that much. He had to save the galaxy. But Yoda said, you're looking too far ahead. Your eyes are raised too high. You're looking too far down the road in this journey of life. The next scripture, or the next slide, and that final phrase there, I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. If this all seems a little bit disjointed, I'm going to tie it all together here in just a moment. That phrase, too marvelous, if, uh, if you uh, listened to and heard uh, Pastor Chip's sermon last week, that same phrase was in his, the psalm he was preaching on, Psalm 139, also written by David. It wasn't the exact same word. His, in Hebrew, was an adjective. and In Hebrew, this one's a, a, a verb form. But they have the same meaning, too marvelous, too wonderful. That word appears 72 times in the Hebrew Scripture, 31 times in the Psalms. And every other time it appears in the Psalms, every time outside of Psalm 131, that phrase, too marvelous, means God's actions. It's explicitly tied to God's marvelous works, God's marvelous actions. Go ahead and skip the next slide and go to the one after that. It refers explicitly to the works of God. Except here in Psalm 131, where David is saying, I don't occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. I think what David is pointing to here is that there are some things that are God's business and not mine. There are some things that are my business. There are things I need to attend to. But there are some things that are God's business and that are not mine. And if I start looking up and I start looking out and I start trying to manage the things that are God's things, then I'm going to create incredible amounts of stress and frustration and anxiety, not only in me, but in everyone around me. Because I'm looking too far. I'm looking too high. I'm occupying myself with things that are beyond me. Go ahead and put that next slide up. When we do that, when we get into God's stuff, when we get into God's stuff, we mess ourselves and other people up. We get quickly overwhelmed. Because we're not designed to manage God's stuff. We don't have the capacity to manage God's stuff. You know, my wife does our taxes, thank God. It's not me. But it was all through our family life, it's been my wife who never once did she say to either of our children when they were in kindergarten, look, I'm really busy right now. Can you take care of the taxes this year? Never once did I say to the kids, hey, I'm really busy this week. Can you change the oil in the car? You don't, you don't put that on a five-year-old. It's too much for them. When we put God's stuff on ourselves and we take it upon ourselves, it's too much for us. What are those things? What are some of God's things that are too great and too marvelous for us? Go ahead and jump to that next slide. There are some things that are God's responsibility. The future is God's responsibility, not yours and not mine. We have, what we do now, we know has an impact on the future, but we have precious little control over that. 
the systems we're in are wildly complex, wildly sophisticated. And, and when we do things, we don't know necessarily what the outcomes are going to be. And by the way, outcomes are in God's hands too. Outcomes are in God's hands. I don't care what they're saying at your school or what they're saying at your work. I know everything's research-based and outcome-driven now in our culture, in our world. But, but you know how much, I mean, you know how much stress that produces, right? Outcomes are in God's hands. Here's an experiment you can try. Um, you need to have good insurance and a good lawyer if you're going to do this. But give it a shot. Get five or you know, ten of your closest friends and, and have them get up on the roof of your house and have each of them jump off. And I bet some of them are going to break a leg. Some of them might break a wrist if they land. Some of them might hit their head and get a concussion. Some are going to walk away without any injuries. They all did the exact same thing with wildly different outcomes. The outcomes and the futures are not in our hands. Infallibility is God's business. You are not infallible. I am not infallible. And we need to be okay with that. And it can be hard, but when we're not okay with being infallible and we beat ourselves up for past mistakes, by the way, the past is in God's hands and not ours. You cannot change the past. When we beat ourselves up and we beat other people up for being fallible, we're putting pressure that we cannot bear on ourselves and other people. Speaking of other people, they're also in God's hands. It's not our responsibility to judge. It's not our responsibility to condemn. Both of those things Jesus explicitly reserves to himself. He will be the judge. He will be the judge. The responsibility he gave us, love. Love your neighbor as yourself, which means you've got to learn to love yourself. When we take on stuff that isn't ours, when we take on God's stuff, we create stress for ourselves and for others. And that brings us to verse 2. Verse 2. But I have calmed and quieted myself like a child with its mother. Myself is like the weaned child that is upon me. That word self there. Um, in most English translations, it gets translated as soul. It's a bad translation. I don't have time to give you all of the historical reasons why we have that bad translation. There are some historical reasons why that's translated that way in the English language. But what I will tell you is this, that the Hebrew word that we translate, that most English translations translate, Translate as soul does not mean soul by any way in which we use that word. The Hebrew word is nephesh. Go ahead and put the next slide up. The Hebrew word is nephesh, and the Hebrew word nephesh means the whole person, including body, mind, emotion, character, and inner parts. Everything that makes up you is included in nephesh. It doesn't parse out spirit, soul, and body separately. It refers to them all as a unit. Nephesh. Yourself. You. So David is not saying, I calmed and quieted my interior life here. Jesus is, or David is saying, I calmed and quieted my whole self. My whole self. Here's one of the, just again, process and experience. You, your, your body is part of you, right? You get that? That, that you and your body are kind of, 
you know, if there's a Venn diagram, there's a lot of overlap between you and your body. And if you're stressed and if you're anxious, one of the best ways to calm your interior is to calm your exterior. To sit and breathe, think about your feet, think about your breathing. Um, the AAers have a really great phrase that I love, 12 steppers, that's uh, bring your body and your mind will follow. I think if we're going to put it in ancient Hebrew, we'd put it bring your body and your heart will follow. If you're stressed on the inside and anxious on the inside, try calming your physical body. Sometimes that works for me. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes my interior stress is so great that I, uh, that, that, that I need to calm that uh, in order to calm my body. And it works both ways. And that brings us to verse 3. Psalm 131 verse... Oh, no, nope. I messed up. I see this is why these slides, that's how I messed things up. There's one more thing before we get to verse 3. Um, go back to Psalm 131.2. But I have calmed and quieted myself like a weaned child with its mother. Myself is like the weaned child that is upon me. That word upon. And this whole second verse gives us a beautiful picture of hope. That that. Most English translations have within, but the Hebrew word is al, and it really means upon, and it means upon like a yoke is on an oxen. You remember how Jesus said, come to me, you who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. There are echoes between this verse and what Jesus said. David is saying, my whole self is at peace. I'm, I'm, I'm at peace upon myself. I'm at peace with myself. This is the picture in the image that I get. Go ahead and put up that image slide. That's the kind of yoke I want to bear. You know? Isn't that great? You're carrying your child, you're carrying your sibling, you're carrying that little person you love, and, and, and it's the weaned child, you know? The, the unweaned child is with, the mo- with mom to get something. I'm going to feed. I'm hungry. Feed me, Seymour. Feed me. But David said it's not that. This, this calmness and quietness that I'm experiencing is not, is not the unweaned child getting fed. It's the weaned child that is just present and content to be present. Psalm 131 is a psalm of ascent. It was, it was prayed and, and worshipped individually as a group as you were going up into the temple, ascending up into the temple to worship God. And I think part of what David is saying here is, God, I'm not coming to you to get something. I just want to rest upon you like a child resting upon his mother's breast. And that's how I read this at first, resting upon God. I think that's a beautiful image, but here's, here's the truth. It wasn't, that's not what David said. He said, upon myself. I'm at peace with myself. David's at peace with God, at peace with himself. He's not making demands of himself. He's not saying, Scott, you've got to do more. You've got to try harder. You've got to get better. You've got to do more. You've got to do more. You've got to produce more. You've got to control the outcome. You've got to fix the situation. David's saying, I'm, not, I'm at peace with myself. I'm not trying to get more from myself. This isn't a technique for greater productivity. 
This is a process and a picture of hope. So where is the hope in this? It's a process of hope. It's a picture of hope. It's also the peace of hope. Go ahead and show Psalm 131.3. The final verse. O Israel, hope in Yahweh from this time on and forevermore. This is where David explicitly gets to the hope. The whole, the three verses they've been leading up to this hope in Yahweh. Israel is one of the names for God's people that's used throughout the Old Testament and even some in the New Testament. And there were a lot of names. Sometimes the Bible refers to them as the children of Abraham. Sometimes they're children of Jacob. Sometimes uh, other groups like Ephraim and Manasseh, which were, Manasseh, which were Jacob's kids. Um, and and uh, there are a lot of different names. Why did David pick Israel? Israel has a dual meaning. Israel, on the one hand, means strives with God. And David is acknowledging that as he has been occupying himself at times with God's stuff, when you do that, you're interfering with God. When my kids try to do my stuff while I'm trying to do my stuff, or instead of me doing my stuff, they're interfering with what I'm doing. They think, ah, you want it this way. No, I don't want it that way. I wanted it this way. But I thought you were wrong. When we occupy our stuff with God's stuff, we're interfering with God. We're striving with God. We're pushing back against what God is ordaining and what God is doing. And sometimes we think, oh, I know God must want it this way too. He must. This has got to be the loving, just, right thing to do. But it's God's business. And when we strive with God, even with the best of intentions and the most righteous of motives... We create stress for ourselves and everyone around us. But the beautiful thing is, is the word Israel also mean, means God strives. The hope here is that I'm surrendering myself and my striving to the God who strives for me. This God who really does exist. He really is here. He really is present. He really does love God. That God strives for me. You remember how we talked about looking too far down the road, looking down past that horizon. The Hebrew word hope. Go ahead and put that slide up. The Hebrew word we translate for hope is yachal. And it means to remain behind while someone else goes ahead. And to wait in anticipation. See, why don't we need to be looking down past the horizon? Because God is already there. God has already gone there. He can already see there. You and I, you know, Chip said last week, our, your arm's not long enough to box with God. And you're also not tall enough to see as far as God sees. We can't see past the horizon, but God can. And when we stop striving with God and we can calm and quiet our whole self and rest upon ourselves and with God, then we are putting our hope in God who is striving for us and trusting Him. And that's where the peace is. That's where the hope is. I got one last image that I want to put up that for me feels like it kind of gets the whole thing. Maybe it will for you. And that's it. That's it. 
resting upon God who is taller and can see farther and is stronger and knows better than you or I or all of us together ever could. Ever could. So with all of this in mind and leaving that up there, I'm going to read Psalm 131 again. And for those listening and wondering in the wings, I am wrapping up. So, in conclusion, hear these words. Think about your feet. You've forgotten about them since we started. Breathe in and out and feel that breath. The holy breath of God, the Holy Spirit of God filling you. When you breathe in, breathe in all that God has for you. And when you breathe out, breathe out all of that striving. Breathe out all of those things that are God's business that you've been trying to manage. Breathe deeply and slowly and feel it. And hear these words. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted myself like a weaned child with his mother. Myself is like the weaned child that is upon me. O Israel, hope in Yahweh from this time on and forevermore. Just breathe that in and breathe the striving out. And my prayer for you here and for you there is that you have experienced this psalm and that your soul, yourself, yourself is calmed and quieted and hoping in the Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.